today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Have you ever heard of the Tito brothers? During and after the Great Depression, they were notorious Pittsburgh bootleggers, running numbers and an illegal lottery out of a house and garage in Uptown. And while they were technically criminals, they made enough money to buy a brewery and bankroll one of the nation's first Negro League baseball stadiums. The property is now 138 years old, and given the family's history, there's some debate whether it should receive historic designation. Folklorist and historian David Rowenstein was commissioned to look into the case. He's here with newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. It's Wednesday, February 23rd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So the, the Tittos came to Pittsburgh in, in the late 1880s, and they settled in Bloomfield, uh, one of Pittsburgh's earliest Little Italys. And Joe's parents, Raphael and Rosa, uh, rented homes in Bloomfield. And within less than half a decade, they'd accumulated enough money to, to buy a, a house in Soho, uh, not too far from 1817 Fifth Avenue on, on Gazam Hill. And Raphael and Rosa set up house at, at 28 Gasm Street. And as the, the family kept accumulating money, Raphael kept buying properties in proximity to the uh, family's original house. Joe was born in 1890. He was the oldest of, of eight children, five boys, three girls. Wow. And he was raised in that in that Soho colony or, or, or community that, that the Tittos were building for their nuclear family and their extended family, as, as people married into the family, they they moved into into one of the Tito houses. As the, the, the 20th century progressed, Joe and his brothers worked in common wage earning uh, activities here in Pittsburgh. So the best evidence we have for their earliest activities was they were uh, vegetable peddlers, hucksters in, in the streets of Pittsburgh, selling vegetables from, from push carts. World War I came along and after World War One, Prohibition, uh, which uh, passed in 1919 and, and became law in 1920, like many of their their neighbors, immigrants from Europe uh, and from the Deep South, African Americans, they they found themselves with an opportunity to make money off of the books by uh, getting into the into the liquor trade. So bootlegging, when, when you think of what prohibition spurred in terms of economic activity. Bootlegging is, is really a complicated economic practice that involves the the manufacture of illicit liquor, uh, moonshining basically, the sale of illicit liquor, and then the transportation of illicit liquor. The Tito boys, as they were known in, in Uptown, got into the transportation aspect of, of the industry and began moving liquor and, and beer throughout the, the Pittsburgh region for various manufacturers and, and, and sellers of, of liquor. Well, they, they had an on-the-books business called Tito Brothers Hauling. Okay. And you know, hauling hauling's a, a pretty big tent when, when you're when you're talking about stuff to move. And it seems like very early on in Prohibition, they specialized in, in, in moving alcohol and got very wealthy very, very fast uh, doing that. So then that money had to go somewhere, obviously. And we know that uh, Joe Tito and the Tito family invested in um, things like Greenlee Field, uh, the first Negro League uh, baseball field in Pittsburgh, um, which was owned and operated by 
Gus Greenlee, the first black man to own and operate a uh, a baseball field. Um, so can you talk about uh, Joe Tito's relationship with, with Gus Greenlee and kind of keeping in mind this was Jim Crow era um, in the South. Um, so this is kind of a unique circumstance with um, this Italian immigrant family and, and Gus Greenlee. It, it was Jim Crow era, not just in the South, but in the North, in, in, in some respects, it, it was even more nefarious here in the North because it was so well concealed. So Joe, Joe and his brothers were, were bootleggers, and, and so was Gus Greenlee in, in the 1920s. Gus was known uh, among uh, folks in the Hill District as Gasoline Gus. He, too, was involved in moving liquor, but he also was involved in, in the sale of liquor. He very early on became one of Pittsburgh's most successful entertainment entrepreneurs, opening up nightclubs and restaurants in the Hill District. One of his most famous ones was was the the Crawford Grill on, on Wiley Avenue, which which became not just a, a popular restaurant and night spot, but became the hub of Pittsburgh's jazz culture for, for many, many decades. So Greenlee really played a key role in in developing Pittsburgh's entertainment economy, whether it's it's through music, whether it's through uh, providing a place to eat and drink, or through professional sports. Uh, he, he was a very early participant in the Negro League's uh, baseball uh, network. He bought the Pittsburgh Crawfords and and built that into a more successful team uh, after it had been struggling for some time. And Joe Tito was not just a, a neighbor in the Hill District, but Joe Tito was a kindred spirit, uh, if you will. You know, the the African Americans suffered from anti-black racism under Jim Crow. Italian immigrants to, to Pittsburgh and elsewhere suffered from anti-Catholicism and other things that kept them out of out of higher levels of society and, and the economy. So they, they they found a friendship and a business partnership that really worked well. And that that relationship, that very complicated relationship, found itself manifest when when Greenlee bought the Crawfords and brought Joe Tito in as a vice president of the team. And then Tito became an investor and officer in the company that built Greenlee Field and then subsequently managed it for its its entire brief existence uh, on Bedford Avenue. So let's let's jump forward a little bit and talk about the other part of the house that is, well, I guess the back part of the site that's being um, hoping to be preserved, which is the garage. And it's a pretty big structural building. It's the home of R- Rolling Rock Beer. Can you can you tell us um, more about how the Tiddos got involved with Rolling Rock? Sure. So Joe Tito had his parents' name on the deed to 1817 Fifth Avenue when the family bought the property in 1922. The property at that point went from Fifth Avenue all the way back to Caldwell Street, and it included a frame stable. Joe, very quickly after the family acquired the property, tore the stable down and built a substantial brick building that he called a garage on the on the building permit, but in actuality is more of a, a warehouse, a two-story warehouse type structure. And that's a that's apparently where the Tito brothers stored their truck fleet for their bootlegging business. The Tittos then in 1932 bought Latro Brewing out in Westmoreland County, which had been a, a, a defunct brewery because of prohibition. 
got a Pennsylvania brewing license, got a beer distributorship license, and used that brick warehouse building on Caldwell Street as their first beer distributorship in Pittsburgh. By 1935, the brothers were selling a product out of that building that they called Rolling Rock Ale. That's the that's the first known instance of Rolling Rock being used as a brand and, and a brand attached to a, a beer. The company's history says that that Rolling Rock was actually introduced in 1939. Yet there's a there's a deeper story there. So one family member told me that yes, the the family did introduce Rolling Rock beer in 1935, and then immediately faced some pushback from the Mellons racing and social club out in Ligonier, the the Rolling Rock Club. So there apparently was some litigation, and I, I need to do some follow-up research on, on where that litigation took place and what its outcome was. But the Rolling Rock brand apparently went dormant for some time in the 1930s and then was revived after the litigation concluded in 1939. And then we had the introduction of that iconic green bottle the, the horse on, on the label, the, the 33 words, and that, that infamous thir- mysterious 33 on, on the back of the label. <laughs> and all of the histories suggest that even though the brewery was located in Latrobe, Rolling Rock, the brand and, and the identity, was born at 1817 Fifth Avenue and that warehouse in the rear. So I was reading about the historic designation, and according to a Post-Gazette article, the family that now owns the property doesn't think it should be nominated because, I quote, Mr. Tideau is not the kind of individual that should be glorified. And of course, uh, we know criminal activity shouldn't be honored, but it can be recognized as a snapshot of what it was like living during this time in Pittsburgh's history with prohibition and the story of immigrant communities. Can you talk about the importance of these sort of underground economies that existed in the 20s and 30s? Sure. So Joe Tito was was very characteristic of a type of individual who was able to make a living during prohibition and then who used that set of business skills that he developed and and the wealth that he accumulated to make the transition into legitimate business as a brewer as a brewing company executive so the 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 comments made stigmatizing the property because of its association with a racketeer are a little misplaced because, as you said, you, you have to look at it in context. It, it, it's an essential part of American history. And as the last several years have, have shown us, we can't really pick and choose what parts of our history to recognize. We need to deal with everything in history and, and understand its importance in this overall story that, that we call the American story. So yes, Joe Tito and his brothers were involved in unlawful activities, bootlegging, and then later numbers gambling. But in, in, in Pittsburgh, singling out Joe Tito doesn't necessarily seem fair when, you know, for example, we have all of these monuments to, to people like Art Rooney and his family and the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, <laughs> right. just, just to name one. So Art Rooney, um, during this same period, also was involved in, in bootlegging in various aspects of gambling, whether it was sports book uh, gambling or numbers gambling. And he fit the same characteristics that, that Joe Tito did. Yet Art Rooney is a very well-respected historical figure celebrated throughout Pittsburgh. 
Joe Tito's uh, partner, Gus Greenlee, is, is the same thing. You know, uh, he began as a bootlegger, became well known as one of the people who introduced numbers gambling to, to Pittsburgh in the 1920s. Yet he historically is now highly respected and revered as one of Pittsburgh's earliest uh, successful black entrepreneurs. His his Crawford Grill Number Two is a historic landmark that's slated for rehabilitation and reuse as an arts venue in the Hill District. So you can't parse out the people you choose to celebrate and the people you choose to stigmatize simply based on an arbitrary set of, of criteria. So if the Tito Mecca Ziza House does indeed get historic preservation, how would you, as you know, obviously someone who studied this property closely, like to see it be restored or repurposed for the uptown community? Art gallery, beer museum, brew pub, uh, business incubator. You know, one of the benefits of being historic is that if it becomes an income producing property again, then there are a whole host of funding opportunities from, from historic preservation uh, tax credits to grants. If the right combination of ideas, planning, and financial resources come together to breathe new life in, into this property. Yeah, yeah. So city council will decide soon whether the home should be preserved. And if not, there's a possibility it could be totally demolished. And the property owners are reportedly already in talks with the developer. David, what's your take on this? You know, the the development that's been proposed, it could be a development you find anywhere in Pittsburgh, anywhere in Pennsylvania, Anywhere in the United States, there's nothing distinctive about it. There, there's nothing that, that says, this is Uptown, this is Pittsburgh. These two buildings say, this is Uptown, this is Pittsburgh, this is special. So there, there's something unique attached to them that, you know, if developed, can be an asset. And again, I can't reinforce this enough, an asset not just to the Uptown neighborhood, but to the entire city of Pittsburgh. Public historian, folklorist, preservation expert, Dr. David Rodenstein, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you for inviting me. Before you go, here's what else is happening in Pittsburgh today. I hope you're enjoying the spring of deception because naturally it's gonna get colder as the week goes on because this is Pittsburgh. Meteorologists say the rivers could rise again too, so be careful if you're on the trails this week. The Mon Oakland Connector project is officially canceled, but Mayor Ed Ganey says he's still committed to investing in Panther Hollow and the run. You probably remember residents have been arguing that the connector prioritized private transportation companies like ride sharing and wouldn't meet their needs. So Mayor Ganey says some of the funds will be diverted to public transit and more accessibility for cyclists and pedestrians to help residents over there. The Northside-based company Astrobotic is pushing for a 2023 launch for its Griffin Lunar Lander. It's hard to say. It would be one of the largest things to touch down on the moon since the Apollo missions in the 60s and 70s. If testing keeps going well, Griffin will be set to deliver a device called Viper that scientists hope will be able to search for signs of water because they say it is cost prohibitive to bring water to space. And I want to welcome Brian Flores to the Steel City. He's the new senior defensive assistant, 
and linebackers coach for the Steelers. The position opened up after defensive coordinator Keith Butler retired and Tara Austin took over. If you've heard the name Brian Flores before, it's probably because he was the coach in Miami. Flores is currently suing the NFL for racial discrimination practices. The Dolphins fired him after two back-to-back winning seasons when he had two years left on his contract. But he'll be here just in time for the NFL Combine next week. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter at pittsburgh.citycast.fm. We're daily now, so check your feeds tomorrow. We'll be back with more news from around the city. See you then. I actually love Miami colors, (laughs) the racial practices now.